Easter morning. That's what today is, Easter morning. And Easter is all about God's love in sending His Son to die so that others might live. And today we're focusing on the love of God, and as we come to God's Word this morning, we're going to a passage of Scripture that contains probably the most well-known Bible verse of all time, John 3.16. It starts with the familiar words, For God so loved the world. Probably the clearest summary of the gospel in the Word of God. Very succinct. and It's, very, it's not hard to see why John 3.16 is the most memorized and probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. It is, it's like a reservoir of truth that we need because our thirsty souls uh, can't be satisfied with anything else. It's, it's, like, a, a, it's like you were starving and you, you found a, a feast of gospel truth. It's a word of comfort for those who are hurting and it's medicine for sin-sick souls. And it's the answer for all the struggles you're finding in life today. I want to say, too, that it can also be a sledgehammer of straightforwardness from God. Because it tells you exactly what is going on. And you may have come here today unaware. You may say, hey, hold on a minute. Hold on. It's Easter Sunday. I know. I'm wearing a suit. Okay? I wear a suit two times a year on Sunday mornings. Whether I like it or not. No, Christmas and, and Easter. In fact, I love wearing a suit. And some of you are wearing suits. But here's the thing. You might have come in today and said, hey, look, I'm here. I'm checking in for my yearly checkup. Don't hassle me. I won't. I won't at all. But I can't guarantee that God won't be all over you. Okay? I'm just saying right now. John 3.16 contains massive realities that we cannot escape. What I'm saying to you today is that there's probably no bigger realities that are being being faced than right here in John 3.16. No greater truths which we must grapple about God's love, about the world, about the Son of God, about faith in God, about perishing forever. Or living forever. About whosoever will. See, it's about you or, or not. It, it's, there's nothing bigger than this. It's about the greatest things that exist. What could be more urgent? What could be more relevant? What could be more important on a day like Easter than to make sure where you stand between God and you and, and what He has said in His Word? I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. I invite you to stand with me to honor God and His Word as I read John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Let me say, too, if you are a guest with us today, I am, you've already been welcomed warmly, but I'm so glad you're here. And we don't want to pressure you in any way. But I want you to know something before I read these verses from the Bible. Grace Church of Orange people are committed to God's book. We are Bible people here at Grace Church. And 
we're going to do right now what we do every week when we gather on Sunday morning. We open up our Bibles, we, we stand up just really to, to call attention to the fact that this is God's Word, not just somebody else's thoughts. This is, this is what God has to say to us. And we let the Bible have its way in our hearts. We let, we let it have its say in our lives. And one thing you need to know, we believe that if anything good comes from our time in the Word of God, it's because the Spirit of God has worked in our hearts in such a way to bring about change. The Spirit of God has used the Word of God to, to change us. So John chapter 3, and beginning at verse 16, this is God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is God's word. And I'm going to pray right now. This is what we do every week. I read the Bible and, and then I pray. And I just want you to know, I want to ask you to do something as we're praying, I want you to be praying as well. I want you to ask God to focus your heart on these truths. We all have other things going on today, especially on Easter Sunday. Family coming over, all sorts of things. And so I'll make a deal with you. I, I won't worry about all the people coming to my house this afternoon if you don't worry about all the things that you're doing this afternoon. And let's ask God to focus our hearts on these truths and do whatever He wants in our lives and in our hearts as a result. Fair enough? All right. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for this privilege that we could be in this room all ages, babies and young kids and youth and young adults and younger adults even. And thank you, Lord, that we can be here to hear your word, to sing your praises on the day that we remember the risen Lord Jesus Christ pray, Lord, that you would focus our hearts on these truths. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, for your glory today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. Did you notice that when I was praying, I said, and younger adults, those are the old people. I'm in that category. I'm over 50, so I'm, I'm in that category. All right. Here we go. Now, we have a title today. The title phrase is, The Love That Will Not Let You Go. If you've been around 
maybe the hymns of the faith, songs of the faith, you might say that sounds familiar to that song, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. That's kind of what I was thinking about when I came up with that title. But I want you to know I'm using this title in two different ways. I want to be really clear about how I'm using this title. The first way is that if you are a believer in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust in Him for salvation, apart from anything you can do on your own, then you are safe and secure eternally, spiritually, now and through eternity. God will never let you go. He will never leave you. He will never lose you. He will never let you go. He will hold on to you. That's the idea. That's the first way I'm using this title. But there's a second way. And the second way is this. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and you refuse to believe and be saved, God is not going to let you go without being exposed to or considering Christ's words unless you leave, like right now. Okay? You may go on mistakenly thinking that you are just fine between you and God, that everything's fine. But you will have heard the truth today of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, and you might even go on fooling yourself thinking, no, I found a different way. I found a different way to, to make sure that I'm right with God. And I would just say this, you, you're wrong, and you will have been exposed to him who is the way and the truth and the life, who said that no one comes to the Father except through me. And so you won't be able to claim ignorance of Christ's claims. That's how I'm using this title today, The Love That Will Not Let You Go. Now, you may have come here today and you're like, you're unaware. You're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I came here on Easter. I checked in twice a year if I need it or not. Or, hey, wait, bait and switch. They told me it was donuts uh, day. That there was going to be like quiche or something and that I was going to have a brunch. Bait and switch. You know, I, I wasn't aware that we were going to do this. Well, we are. Now, here's the deal. You might be unaware. Or you might have heard and rejected the gospel message over and over and over again to the point where you have calluses on your heart because you're just saying no, 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 no. Or you may be well acquainted with the gospel and aligned with Jesus and God's word and you're like, bring it. I want to hear it again. I want to hear that story over and over and over again. I love the gospel. Whatever your spiritual status, here's my job today. My job is not to convict you of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'm going to present the Word of God. And I will either be introducing you to Jesus, I will either be reacquainting you with the story of Jesus, or I will be reminding you of the love that will not let you go. It's only one of those three things, really. Because no one can escape the reality of the words of, of John 3.16 and the surrounding verses. You can't hide from what God is angling towards when Jesus says, for God so loved the world. It's inescapable. It's like a stadium billboard sign. And where do you see John 3.16 most often? Baseball games, football games, right? That's where I first saw it. I remember when I was 19 years old, I couldn't say this verse all the way through. I could only get to God so loved the world. I'm serious. Verse of scripture that can be rattled off in mere seconds, but it takes a lifetime to understand. It's a gem of truth that has sadly been devalued due to familiarity. 
Everyone's so familiar with it. Kids love it. Kids, raise your hand if you love John 3.16. Oh, of course. Look at this. Every kid in the play. Yeah, that's right. Okay, here's the deal. Kids, it's not just yours. This one is not just for the kids. Sorry, we got to share, okay? We got to share. So I tell my kids when they were younger, share with your brother and sister, blah, 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 okay? You know what I'm saying? You got to do it. You got to do it. But here's the thing. Not just for kids, it's for every generation. You and I need John 3.16 and the message of the gospel like we need air. Take a deep breath. Oh, yeah, keep doing that the whole service, all right? Except don't, don't hyperventilate, please, please, please. Just keep breathing. You need Jesus more than you need to breathe. You need this message indelibly etched upon your soul. You need it tattooed upon your consciousness. You embrace the truth of John 3.16, the love that will not let you go. I'll give you the main point. All right? Give you the main point right now. Here it is. Jesus saves believers. Semicolon. Unbelievers condemn themselves. Told you we're not condemning anybody here. Jesus made it really clear. If you don't believe in, in me, you have already condemned yourself. So Jesus saves believers. Unbelievers condemn themselves. That's where we're going today. That's what we're talking about today. And I think it's very appropriate on Easter Sunday to focus on the love of God, especially in John 3, 16 through 21. And here's the game plan. I'm going to basically show you five things from this passage that reveals the love of God. Five things about the love of God. They call them even anchors, but not like a boat anchor, more like a, a rock climbing anchor. Okay? So think about this. If, if you're rock climbing, there's a belay, right? And the belay's job is to pay attention and not let go of the rope, right? Well, it's exactly what it is. I'm telling you right now. This, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I do know. Here's what I do know. You have to pay attention and don't let go of the rope it's amazing how many people let go of the rope when they're the belay like really get another job okay all right well i'm just volunteering i I understand okay so five anchors for your life that jesus reveals about god's love so here's the first one okay first one see it in verse 16 god's love is universal his love is universal for god so loved the world now, some of you are saying, well, does that make God a universalist? No. His, his love is universal, but God is no universalist. He loves everyone, but he doesn't save everyone. For God so loved the world. It starts with God. By the way, the way the Gospel of John uses the word world is this way. What does world mean? The created fallen totality of mankind that's how john uses the term john chapter 7 verse 7 jesus says the world cannot hate you it hates me because it because i testify about it that its works are evil he's talking about the created totality of of sinful humans chapter 14 verse 17 jesus says the spirit of truth they cannot Receive The world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. The idea about the world is that all people are in opposition to God. They don't love God or know God or honor God apart from Christ. 
So if you don't know and love and honor Jesus, you don't know God. It starts for God. It's God's idea. He's the initiator. He's the planner of the plan. He knew what he was doing. He made up the plan. He was going to carry out the plan. And it was due to nothing good in us. He instituted his plan, the plan of the ages, settled before the world began. God so loved the world. It was because he loved his creation. It was because he loved those he made. Loved every single human he made. His love goes beyond your comprehension to understand it. The Son came to earth with a mission. Jesus came to earth with a mission. The mission was wrapped up in the supreme love of God for this evil, sinful, fallen world of humanity that is in rebellion against Him. By the way, the word so, for God so loved the world, the word so emphasizes how intense and how strong and how great God's love is for His created, fallen human world. The Father gave His beloved Son to die for sinful men, and so this love is universal, though God is no universalist. He loves everyone. He doesn't save everyone. We've got to get that very clear. So that's the first thing about the love of God. It's universal. Second thing about the love of God. We're going pretty quick now. Here we go. The second thing about the love of God is that, and this passage tells us very clearly that the love of God is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. You need to know. John 3.16 says that he so loved the world that he gave. He didn't charge admission. He covered the entire cost at great cost. He didn't take. He gave. And it wasn't something he was going to throw away. We go, oh, I was going to throw it away. Any way you want it, you can have it. It's not like, what are you going to do with your Rolex? You give that away? Anyone here have a Rolex? Okay, I won't ask for it then. You don't have one? I'm not going to ask. He substituted his son. He sacrificed his son. He gave what was his before eternity began. And... It says he gave. You look at verse 17, and Jesus says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Send. Did you see that? God didn't send his son. So gave in verse 16 is parallel to send in verse 17. Reminds me of Galatians 4.4. At the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the curse. John chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life, then I may take it up again. He's going to sacrifice himself. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and take it up. This charge I receive from my Father. You see that? Jesus says, this charge I received from my Father. There's instructions. It's a charge. What was the charge from the Father to the Son? God the Father said to God the Son, what? Go and die. Go down to the earth that we created, to the world of sinful, fallen humanity that now exists, and go and die. Parents, I don't think you're going to send your kids on that mission. But God did. God sent the sinless, sovereign Savior to die. Die in the place of your enemies so they could have eternal life. We wouldn't do that.
The Bible says that it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to suffer. He came to die sacrificially in their place. You need to know that God did that. You need to know that he substituted his son in your place. His only son. The son of God. God Almighty. God incarnate. You need to know that. You need to receive that. Hebrews chapter 7 talks about Jesus as our high priest. The one who goes to God on our behalf. And it says this. The former priests were so many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office one priest would show up and he would then do his deal and then die and gotta get another one and another one and another one but it says that Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus today, Jesus is praying for you right now. About your marriage that's on the rocks. About your friendships that seem to be so shaky. About your neighbors and and you that just can't seem to get along. And about your job issues and about all the other things in your life. It says that Jesus is ever living to make intercession, to pray for those who draw near to God through him. So it says it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. God in the flesh, God incarnate, and exalted above the heavens. And then it says this, He has no need like those high priests, those sinful human high priests. No, God, 100% God, 100% man, He has no need to offer sacrifice daily, first for His sins and then for the sins of the people, since He did this once for all when he offered up himself this is a sacrificial love and once for all christ was sacrificed i think of this sacrificial love i think of that i go back to that old children's book by shel silverstein called the giving tree do you remember that book where the 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 tree just gives and gives and gives he loves this little boy and gave everything the branches and the trunk and everything finally it was just a stump all is left is a stump and then the boy comes back and he's an old man and he's like all I need is a place to sit. Come sit down, boy. And it was just, per- it was just giving and giving and giving. We give and we say, hey, um, what are you going to give me back? What, what, reciprocity. And, you know, we're expecting something in return. At least a thank you note, right? And Jesus sacrificed himself in our place. So the first thing we see, let's, let's summarize here. The first thing we see is, you can repeat it with me if you'd like. First thing is, God's love is universal. Thank you. Secondly, God's love is sacrificial. Let's look at the third thing. This will take us the longest. Judging about first service, this will take us long. We might not get to the next two, okay? The third thing that this passage tells us about the love of God, and this might be the most shocking, this might be the most startling, this might be the most unsettling. I guarantee you it's the most unsettling for you and me third thing this passage tells us about the love of God is that it is merciful mercy merciful 
It says, the God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever. Ooh, we don't like the word whoever. We like it when it says me. You know, we want mercy for me. We want mercy for ourselves. We want justice for our enemies. We want justice for those who are, have wronged us. We love to figure out and who we think that God should accept. What they look like, what they do, we got it all figured out, don't we? We got it all figured out in our minds. And God is merciful. He's not like us. The only reason we can be merciful is because God is merciful. Whoever. Well, that's you, and that's me, if we will. Whosoever will believe. Who else is it? It's the beggar on the street corner. It's the crack addict. It's the meth lab owner. It's the rapist. It's the child molester. It's the the bank robber. It's your beloved. It's the CEO. It's the most powerful person on earth. It's the weakest person on earth. It's the person who beat you. It's the person who doesn't hold your political views. Whosoever. It's the gossip. It's the glutton. It's the most popular person in class. Whoever, without distinction, without works, without any deserving, whoever, is it you? Is it you? We don't like the love of God very much sometimes. We love to talk about the love of God. We love to sing about the love of God. We don't like to live about the love of God. It's so countercultural to us. It's so counterintuitive. It kind of shocks us and it doesn't fit our theology often. No, God doesn't love people like that. It's not fair we say that the guilty sinners go free unless it's me. We want mercy for ourselves, justice for our enemies. But we read in scripture that Jesus loves his enemies. And Jesus says, you shall love your enemies. 1 John chapter 4. It says, if we say we love God and hate our brother, we're liars. If we can't love our brother whom we see, how can we love God whom we do not see? So our faulty logic condemns us. Jesus says, whoever would believe in him the only stipulation only stipulation is something that you can't manufacture on your own it can only receive it as a gift faith the gift of God supernatural necessary and faith's object the Lord Jesus Christ son of God sinless sovereign savior of all You know what the key word is in John chapter 3? Believe. Believe. It's used seven times in this chapter. It's about the new birth that God gives being appropriated by an act of faith. God takes the initiative in salvation and a human response to the worth of God in regeneration is, is expected. Well, now God's in your face. He says, whoever would believe. 
God is in your face. I'm not in your face. God's up in everybody's face right now. And he's saying, do you believe? Whosoever would believe. Jesus is saying it to Nicodemus at this point. And he told him just a moment ago, you don't believe, Nicodemus. You don't believe it. The question is, do you do this? Do you believe in Jesus? It's the most urgent, relevant, important question of your life. And if you don't, till you die, you will perish forever. Forever. It doesn't mean you will go out of existence like poof, you just cease to exist. You will be separated from God forever. Who would want to take that risk? Amen on that. Right down here in front, not me. Praise God. Give me a high five for that one. Just give me a high five. Just gotta give me a little high five. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the best. It is the best. Let's talk about believing. There's some things you need to know about believing. Some things you need to know about the word believe and the concept believe and the idea of believing in Jesus. Number one, everyone doesn't get the benefit. This is not like, oh, everybody. No, no. Remember, God's love is universal, but he is not a universalist. He doesn't save everyone. You've got to believe. Everyone doesn't get the benefit. You have no faith, you perish. Faith, you have eternal life. And I don't mean faith in a vacuum, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, believe means to trust. It means to embrace something as true. But I think some people have this idea that believe is just like this sign you put up in your house, this wooden sign, believe. Well, whatever you want to believe. No, absolutely not. That's not what God says. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what God says. Believe means to trust and embrace something as true. It's a surrender to God. Go over to John chapter 1. Two chapters previous. John chapter 1. And look at verses 11 and 12. It will give you an idea into what it means to believe. He came. Jesus came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him. Who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not dependent on anything there, but of God. It's dependent upon God. That birth, that new birth, that regeneration is something God brings about. And the response of the human is to believe. Is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You are convinced. The root of that word faith means to be convinced, to be convicted of it. To believe it, to be persuaded to the point of actual surrender. You believe that your chair would hold you up. You went all the way in. It did its job. It's still doing its job. You keep trusting in it. One more thing you need to know about believe, though. Third thing. Not just that everyone doesn't get the benefit and that believe means to trust and embrace something as true and surrender, but the third thing is religious words with no meaning mean nothing. So you walk around going, I believe. Or you even walk around and go, I believe in Jesus. And there's nothing to prove it. There's nothing to show for it. It's fake. It's, it's who, are, who are you believing in Jesus as? 
You can't walk around going, I received Jesus. You can't just say that. You, you say, received him as what? Just as what you wanted him to be? What you imagined him to be? Jesus said in John chapter 6, and by the way, John's gospel is full of all these I am statements of Jesus. You want to know the identity of Jesus in terms of what he's like? You just go to John and you see all sorts of things. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. means he won't be spiritually hungry. He's going to satisfy your hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. So he's bread for your soul. He's water for your soul. He satisfies you. You've got to believe in Jesus for that. You say, I, there's no other place for my sins to go. They already went on Jesus on the cross, and I am not going to do anything to look anywhere else for any kind of Savior. That's what you're saying when you say, I believe in Jesus. Now, Jesus says, those who believe will not perish. So the benefit, it just blows your mind. You're like, perishing is not good. Under the wrath of God, not good. Lost in sin, not good. God says, if you believe in me, in Jesus, you will not perish. You won't die for your sin because someone else died for your sin. Perish basically means eternally have what is not life. You'll be consciously having a condemnation continually. He talks about that in the, in the next verses. He says, I didn't, the Son of God did not get sent to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through me. The idea is that you perish, you're eternally not having life in Christ. You're condemned, you're guilty, you're, you're hell-bound, you're dead in sin, and God owes you nothing. You'll get what you, what you deserve. Let me go to the end of chapter 3 of John's Gospel, verse 36, and look at what Jesus says there. He says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So they're already condemned and wrath remains. The eternal wrath of God on you because of your sin. I can't think of anything worse. I can't think of anything more terrifying. Go with me to John chapter 20, that first Easter morning. It's interesting. Do you know that the first Easter sunrise service didn't have a lot of people at it? The church of 2012 in America would say, we're not going to do that next year. It wasn't cost effective. There weren't a lot of people at the first Easter sunrise service. First day of the week, John chapter 20, verse 1. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early. It's still dark. And she sees that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. She runs and tells Simon Peter... And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John is so humble, he doesn't name himself. It's John and Peter. John and Peter. And they're running. They're having a little foot race. Last one there is a rotten egg. John gets there first. Peter slides into home and goes into the tomb before John. He sees the cloths, the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Now, I don't know about you, but my whole life, I've always imagined that scene like this. They run in, they see the empty tomb, 
and there's some nice white sheets kind of laid there just kind of, you know, just like to take a picture, you know. You know how you kind of set up your pictures, like your Easter picture today? You're going to set it up. Here, sit there, stand there. So you kind of just, it's just kind of like gently messed up. The problem with that idea is that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus wrapped up Jesus' body, they had brought in spices, probably 75 to 100 pounds of spices, and wrapped his body up in all these spices and then with these linen cloths. But you've got to remember what happened to Jesus' body when he died. He was beaten. He was put nails through his hands and his side, a crown of thorns. His, uh, Isaiah 53 says his appearance was marred more than anyone. So there was blood, there was uh, just messiness. So when you think about those, those grave clothes just lying there, it would have been gooey, icky, and smelly probably. Now Jesus wasn't there. And what happens blows my mind. I, 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 still, I still can't believe it. Every time I read it, I'm like, really? And in my Bible, I put a, a question mark and an exclamation point. Look at verse 10. So they see that Jesus isn't in the tomb, but they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, so they went back to their homes. What? They didn't stay for the Easter sunrise service. They go, they leave before it starts. They're there, but they leave before it starts. So who's left? Mary. And Mary's standing crying outside the tomb. And she looks inside the tomb and she sees two angels. And the angels are like, how come you're crying? They knew. And then they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they put him. And she turns around, and Jesus is standing there, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. And she goes, hey, if you've taken my Lord, you give him back right now. And Jesus says her name, Mary. He knows your name. Here, he says Mary, and, and, and her response is Rabboni in, in Aramaic. It means teacher. And she, he goes, hey, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended yet to the Father, but you go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. She's got some awesome news to give. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, get this, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. But here's what I don't read next. They go running back to the tomb. No. So the first Easter sunrise service, you've got Mary and probably some other women there with her. Peter and John don't stay. They go to their homes. Now Jesus has to have home group at their house that night. We don't have, I'm not having my home group tonight. We're, we're having the family over today. So every, you know, if you're in my home group, we're not having home up. You, you, got, you got the message, all right? There we go. There's others. Yeah, there you go, right here. All right, here's the deal. Jesus, it says in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. He came in and stands among them. Peace be with you, he says. He's got to go see them. We go to, we go to church on Easter. They didn't. <laughs> and, and he shows them his hands in his side and they're glad. And Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. But then, Thomas wasn't there. 
Thomas wasn't there. Where was that guy? He was not on vacation. He was not on a trip. I think he just went, forget this. I'm not going to be a part of the losing team. And, it said, and, and Thomas, Thomas hears about it and he goes, I'm not going to believe unless Jesus does what I think he should do. Is that you today? I'm not going to believe unless Jesus does what I think he should do. Love what Jesus says when he sees him. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then John gives the whole goal for his gospel in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says that uh, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's it right there. That's it right there. God is so merciful, though. He is so patient with his people. We don't want to be merciful. You know, there was a guy, I just heard about this this week. There was a guy that got, got convicted of armed robbery. He was guilty. He, got, he was going to be sent to jail. And this was 13 years ago. And they told him, you wait for the notice of when you're supposed to report to jail. The notice never comes. So the guy goes about, he asks his lawyer, and the guy goes, I don't know what's up. Maybe they let it go. So he just goes about his business. He cleans his life up. He gets married, has kids, starts three businesses. And just recently, they came knocking at his door because they realized the clerical error that was made, and now he's in jail for 13 years. Now, his attorney's asking for leniency, for mercy, for time served. We took a, if we take a vote here, do not raise your hand. If you take a vote, we'll be split down the middle. Some of you are like, he should go to jail. He deserves it. Others are like, oh, give the guy a break. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't take a vote. Worst book I ever read by a person that I really respected, actually. Here's what they said. God casts one vote, Satan casts one vote, and you cast the deciding vote. That's a load of untruth. God is merciful. God is merciful. And he, Romans 9 tells us, it has mercy on whoever he wants to have mercy on. It doesn't depend upon us. It doesn't depend on what our will is. It depends on God's will. I told you that that would take the longest, and now we have two more things left, so we'll go really quick through the fourth one. Okay? We have like three minutes to go. The fourth thing that this passage tells us about the love of God. Let's do some review, though. The first thing the passage tells us is that God's love is universal. This, it's right up there. Close your eyes and say it. See if you can remember. I forgot about this. The second thing is God's love is sacrificial. I saw Bob close his eyes. Good job. Good boy. And then the third thing is that God's love is merciful. Fourth thing is that God's love is eternal. Eternal. We saw last week, the first 15 verses of John chapter 3, the need for the new birth, three truths about the new birth and regeneration, and how God is the source of the new birth. He sovereignly gives spiritual life to those he's chosen. And the result of the new birth is that a person willingly responds to the gospel call, repents of their sins, and places their faith in Christ for salvation. That's what God wants you to do today if you don't know Jesus. Eternal life in Christ. It's, it's a quantity of life, but also a quality of life. It's the life of God in you. Now let's get to the last point. Fifth thing. What was the fourth thing? It's right there. Of course you know. 
The fifth thing this passage tells us about the love of God is that it is transformational. Your life will change if you come to faith in Christ. In fact, these verses going on from from verse 16, God isn't coming to condemn the world, but to save. And whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned because they didn't believe in the only name of the Son of God. And the judgment is that they reject the light they hate the life because their deeds are evil that's why someone doesn't come to faith in christ because they loved evil be more than good and it says that whoever does what is true verse 21 comes to the light they're not afraid they can come to the light and say yeah and the light is not some ethereal light it is the light of the knowledge of the glory of god seen in the face of christ it's jesus himself as the answer to all of of your yearnings and wanderings and conflicts. You ever feel like you're just hanging on by a thread in life? Can't figure out your marriage, can't figure out your parents, can't figure out your roommates, your friends, your neighbors. People bug you and you find it tough to get along. Just churning internally all the time. Turmoil, conflicts within, in your heart and outside with people. No peace, just unrest. You boil it all down, we are all looking. We are all looking for forgiveness and new life. That's that's what we want, isn't it? We want forgiveness and new life. We want to be free from our sins, and we want to have a new life from God. We are looking for this. We're guilty, so we know we need forgiveness. We're dead, and we need new life. And the cross deals with the guilt. Sin was paid for. The resurrection deals with the need for new life. J. Gresham Macon, long, long time ago, said this, there may be some foul spot in our lives. The kind of thing the world would never forgive. The kind of thing at any rate for which we, who know all about ourselves, can never forgive ourselves. But what do we care whether the world forgives or even whether we can forgive ourselves if God forgives? if God has received us by the death of his son. It says, you know, you can try to calculate all your guilt, but you heap up your guilt mountain high, and God in Christ has removed it all. The Christian says, I know not what my guilt may be. One thing I know, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. You know that when we forgive someone, we say we forgive, oftentimes when we see the person, we still relate to them and think about them on the basis of what they did to us. But when God forgives you, it's clean and clear. He refuses any longer to relate to you on the basis of your sin. Instead, he relates to you on the basis of Christ's finished work. In Christ, you're both alive and forgiven. God gives you life and forgives you all your sins. He no longer relates to you on the basis of your sins. If, you, if your best friend and your worst enemy were both clinging from a rock, they're out rock climbing, who are you going to save? God never lets go. God doesn't choose like we do. If you're not a Christian today, I would just say that you need Jesus more than you need air. And you need to stop fighting God and you need to come to faith in Christ based upon what He has done. And if you're a Christian today, you need to You need to model the kind of love of God, the love of God that loves everyone and sacrifices for others and is merciful and points to eternal things. 
and just live before people with the changed life that God gives you. Lord God, thank you that you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you saved believers. I pray that, that everyone who hears these words would be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that unbelievers condemn themselves, and Lord, we don't want them to. We pray, Lord, that that they would turn to you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.